If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. <laughs> And welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. 2022 is the History Extra podcast's 15th birthday. So to mark 15 years of fascinating historical conversations, we've asked 15 historians to nominate a figure from history who they think deserves their 15 minutes of fame. Some are inspiring people who deserve more airtime today. Others are those whose significance in history has been overlooked. And some simply led fascinating and unexpected lives. In today's episode, Dr Hannah Gregg nominates Hannah Humphrey. In conversation with Eleanor Evans, she reveals how this Georgian printseller worked with the leading caricature artist James Gilray to build a successful business in her own right. So for this series, we're asking historians to nominate the person from history who they believe deserves 15 minutes of fame. Can you introduce us to your choice, please, Hannah? So the person that I um, have chosen is a late 18th century entrepreneur. She is a fantastic businesswoman. She carves out a unique and really important place in an 18th century commercial marketplace. She's fantastically successful. Pretty much everybody in late 18th century London will probably have heard of her name and seen her name regularly. Uh, But today she's been almost forgotten. So she is Hannah Humphrey, for reasons not only being called Hannah, (laughs) but she is the business partner and kind of architect of the fame behind James Gilray, who's a name we might have heard of. He's a caricature artist. He's still, his work's still fairly well known today. His art kind of encapsulates the satirical culture of the late 18th century, and it's collected and shown in art galleries. And he's seen as the kind of forerunner and innovator as a cartoonist who still inspires caricature artist today in our newspapers. So he's very well known. But across pretty much every single one of his prints published really after about the 1780s is the name H. Humphrey, because she was his business partner, his 
printer, his publisher, and um, the kind of brains behind the whole art operation that they ran. So she sounds like a hugely interesting character, and I can't wait to get into her story in a little more detail. But what brought you to Hannah, to H. Humphrey? How did you come across her name first? I think it was on the Gilray prints. And, um, um, you know, most 18th century printed caricatures have the name of the publisher on them. And um, H. Humphrey is across all of the Gilray prints. And he was often drawing images of 18th century politicians, of the rich and the wealthy and the famous. And the, the caricature art is a way for historians to understand the kind of political and satirical culture of the time, how public opinion was holding people to account, what the news culture was, um, how people learned about political scandals, how the elites were kind of challenged, how the monarchy were challenged. We can learn all of these th- things through caricature art. And across the bottom of every single one is is the name H. Humphrey. And I'm not quite sure how or why, but I became very aware that the H stood for Hannah, probably because <laughs> I'm naturally drawn to Hannah's in history. Um, but I also became aware that some historians hadn't really realised that, or they had confused H. Humphrey with W. Humphrey, her brother, who was also um, a print publisher at the time and ran a slightly different business operation and had published a couple of Gilray's prints early on. But um, but later on in Gilray's career, he, he, he set up exclusively with Hannah Humphrey and she was the only person who was able to, to print and publish his work. Um, so I became really interested in, in her and her position and sort of started to find out more about her, her life and her family which is not easy because um, she's not a woman who left a lot of records behind. There's a handful of letters um, that exist in the British Library, which I can talk a bit about later because they're kind of fascinating in their own right. Um, But no real images or other material survives about her apart from her name across these prints. It suggested that Gilray included her in one of his caricatures, but it hasn't been completely established. We just speculate. And it's an image of um, four people, four fairly elderly people playing whist. And it suggested that a kind of um, elderly lady with spectacles wearing a mob hat peering over her cards is in fact Hannah Humphrey. She looks like a totally unremarkable sort of stereotypical spinster in so many ways. Um, But if that is her, then of course it completely belies the remarkable nature of her, her, her life and career. So she's someone it's very hard to kind of capture an image of or to think about exactly what she looked like or who she was. But um, but yeah, there's certain little ways and clues that, that we can find out a bit more about her. Well, that's very tantalising. Um, and so the, the use of H. Humphrey then, would that have been, how intentional would that have been? Would she have been trying to sort of, um, you know, pass her work as, as that of a man? Would it have just been expected that anyone with working on those things would have been a man? I think that there were other women in print as well. So I don't think it's necessarily a, a gendered thing. I think it's very commonplace, you know, printers did put their, publishers did put their names on the works. Um, and maybe the style was always just the initial and the surname. We tend to be more preoccupied, um, you know, with having our, our four names on things today than necessarily was the case um, in the 18th century. So I don't think that's necessarily that unusual. I don't think she was necessarily hiding her sex at all. Um, I think that was just the world in which she operated in. But we have forgotten that <laughs> there are these very powerful, independent women running businesses, getting on with their their life and their work, doing a fantastically good job about things. And actually, because she doesn't have 
any much else about her story. There's no sexual scandal. She and Gilray didn't get married, although they were rumoured to have had some relationship of some kind. Um, so she's an unmarried woman who's just really good at her job. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and you know, those are the kind of women who disappear, actually, from the historical records. We tend to find the ones who are involved in a scandal or who end up in court or who are in other kinds of records in different places. But those women, actually, who are successful, who are allowed to be successful in the late 18th century, who actually represent a kind of world of art and culture in which women were able to participate fully for commercial ends and, you know, to run their own businesses... Those are the women who get who get you know missed out of history. So that's also why she's really important because she points to the kind of stories that we forget or the kind of aspects of the past that we forget and the many many different ways in which women could operate, particularly in, in late eighteenth century London. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. She's remarkable and fascinating and powerful in her own circle, but perhaps not in the ways that we often ascribe to women in history. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. And so to that operation then, to her work and her career, um, when did she first sort of uh, come across Gilray? What's known about their partnership, their, their work together? Well, she, she kind of comes from a family who are interested in, in print publishing and prints, although her father um, actually runs a shell warehouse in 1760s Covent Garden, and the family are mostly invested in shells. And they're sort of at the commercial end of a fashionable interest in shell collecting and shell art and a kind of interest in the natural world. They are... Um, the suppliers, the organisers, the people who provide the shell material, which is then catalogued in country houses. And part of that um, shell work means that they are busy drawing shells and creating prints about their shells, which uh, visitors to their shell warehouse can 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 take away with them. It's sort of like a museum, basically. Um, and so she and her sister in their teens, we find them actually offering shell work lessons to fashionable ladies. So they will come and help you design your grotto or do a little bit of shell work on a box and um, so they're kind of invested in the sort of yeah the commercial aspects of this fashionable life Um, but then first of all she sets up a business with her brother William um, the other Humphrey that sometimes people you know how they she gets confused with him Um, and they carry on just doing they focus on prints but they are interested in lots of different kinds of prints so they do fashion plates and they do maps and they do caricatures and they do lots of different sorts of printed materials and then 
Around the late 1780s, Hannah Humphrey goes off on her own and sets up a completely independent business. And what she does that's unique and different to what her family has done is that she spots a gap in the market. And she realises that the, the new and emerging form of caricature art is really capturing a kind of public appeal. And she elevates this from being seen as a kind of slightly low art form to being something that is desirable and fashionable and can be sold in a kind of exclusive shop. And as part of that strategy, she lures James Gilray, who has been sort of working a little bit with the Humphreys, but also selling prints around London. He's He has aspirations to be a, a kind of more fine artist, um, but is a jobbing caricature artist to make a living. And he's, you know, been working with different sorts of publishers and, and printmakers around London. But um, Hannah Humphrey, we don't know how, she manages to secure Gilray and they set up an exclusive business alliance where he is creating the art, works, and she is printing it publishing it and sort of selling it as a commodity. And um, she sets up a print shop in St. James's in the West End, which becomes the only destination where you can buy James Gilray. And their shop is a gallery for his work. Um, From the point in which James Gilray starts working with Hannah Humphrey, um, she insists that he signs his art. It's signed by the artist. So he adds his name onto the prints, James Gilray. So people know they are buying a Gilray print. And I mean, his artwork is is phenomenal and fascinating. And it seems to have been become really established at the point in which he has the the settled arrangement with Hannah Humphrey. So he lives above her shop. She gives him board and lodging. She nurtures his art. Over the course of his career, they have this incredibly successful kind of adult lifelong business relationship and deep, deep friendship. Um, And she nourishes him and nurtures him and supports him and makes him into the famous artist that he became and is still known as today. And, you know, I find it incredibly moving, actually, that later in his life, James Gilray begins to lose his sight. And it's just torturous for him because he's an artist and he can no longer create And Hannah Humphrey cares for him for about 10 years um, when he's no longer working and she employs young artists in London, including Cruikshank, to finish off his work. So these kind of adoring young artist fans come and sort of try and build on his ideas and produce his final works for him under the kind of support of Hannah Humphrey. And she cares for him until his death and he leaves her everything um in in his will um and so it's incredibly sort of moving story of deep friendship as well which is again not one which is often told in history we want it to be a romance we want it to be a marriage but it isn't it is just a very very deep and and committed friendship that has this business element and has this domestic arrangement as well but it's not this kind of sexy story which which history likes to tell us so I think that's another reason why it's sort of been missed a bit Yes, that that does make sense. But it it does sound like such an enduring, very lovely story. But what remarkable business acumen as well on her part. Well, she dies as a wealthy woman. I mean, it's, you know, when you compare her trajectory to that of her siblings, um, I mean, her sister marries a shell merchant and runs her own shell shop in London. Her brothers uh, try and set up, you know, their businesses, one as a printer, the other as a a shell cataloguer. And they do very badly financially. I mean, one brother becomes bankrupt, the other, um, you know, is in no way anywhere near in Hannah Humphrey's um, financial 
financial position. She dies, you know, relatively wealthy, wealthy enough to give a few hundred pounds to her domestic staff. She um, gives her business to her nephew. She has, you know, the rights because Gilray's given them to her of all of his work, which she distributes amongst friends. She has a number of properties around London. So not only her shop, but she has other properties that are tenanted. So she has a very, very stable, um, you know, financial um, outcome and is, you know, pre- relatively well off within a kind of commercial world of London. I mean, she's not in the kind of super league of the aristocrats, but she's made a perfectly great living. She's left enough money to be able to, you know, bequeath things to, to, to friends and family at the end of her life. And, um, and yeah, she really manages to ride a wave of commercial innovation. And I do think she spots the market and, you know, no other print shop specializes in the way that she does. She is one of the first to say, I am selling caricatures and that's my world. And, and she sells them at a kind of slightly higher rate. Um, you know, there's a kind of limited print run. They have various different sorts of, or she has different sorts of business techniques to make it commercial, commercially viable. She's got a huge amount of, of, of acumen. And so we would see, we would see her as an entrepreneur. And so it's frustrating that in the kind of history, of, of commerce and particularly of art and caricature her name is just not really mentioned so that is why I'm always you know yeah trying to pitch Hannah Humphrey for her her hall of fame recognition absolutely well I'm glad she's got getting at least some minutes now um you mentioned the sources you mentioned they're a little bit sparser than we would like um but these letters what can you tell us about those yeah, so there's a handful of letters in her in her hands um, in the British Library. There there might be more in private collections. So if anybody's listening and happens to have some Hannah Humphrey material, <laughs> then do please let me know because I think it's the kind of thing that you know was probably just appeared in auctions and be- because it wasn't partic- anyone particularly famous, then often these things kind of get distributed in lots of different places. But there's a few in a collection in in the British Library with James Gilray's papers, and um, and they're just just a handful of letters but a couple of them are to James Gilray himself later in life and they're basically telling him to remember to feed the cat while she's um, in Margate and also reminding him where he's meant to go next week so she says you know remember you have to meet me in Rochester not the place you went to not Canterbury where you went to last time underlined Rochester like she's sending one of these like you know and there's a pie in the fridge like there's there's a lot of that kind of kind of going on and um and then there's a few kind of fleeting references about um having bumped into some you know I think he's you know the Duke of Clarence in Margate and he nods hello to her and it's just such a kind of you know, just brief moments. It's a sentence of a letter, but it tells us actually how well known she was in 18th century London. I mean, her shop was right in the middle of St. James's Street. It's, you know, a few paces from St. James's Palace. It's a short walk from the Houses of Parliament. It's the street where all the aristocratic clubs are and most of the aristocrats live. So people were passing by her shop and in and out all of the time. Um, So she's right at the heart of it. And, you know, she's on on kind of you know nodding terms with royalty at the seaside resorts so um you know she's not as though she's she's certainly not unknown in her own age but she just has this quiet authority I think as well which is really compelling about her she she doesn't seem to be someone who was showy or putting herself at the front or or kind of you know creating any sort of drama or or complexity she was just obviously very focused and careful and determined and clever and um and these are qualities that we don't often like to ascribe to women in history and it's sort of frustrating that those qualities mean actually she's been sort of obscured Uh, Well, I'm very glad that we can begin to rectify that a little at the moment, or begin, continue rather. Um, 
And uh, just to wrap us up then, Hannah, for, for other Hannah's story, um, why does Hannah Humphrey deserve her 15 minutes of fame? Because her name has been lost and has sort of been obscured by her business partner who was a man and his name has achieved fame and recognition and and hers has not. And, And so that's one of the reasons. The other is that she is remarkable. She's... She's remarkable and fascinating and powerful in her own circle, but perhaps not in the ways that we often ascribe to women in history. She is not a mistress of a king. She is not a leading politician. She is not an activist. Um, she is not someone whose, whose name was written in books or poems um, she just sits quietly somehow within the pages of history but that doesn't mean that she should be overlooked in fact we should kind of reconfigure the values that we're looking for in the past and find women like Hannah Humphrey because they tell us a lot about women's history and actually the opportunities that were available to women in the past. Wonderful. Uh, and one more, if I, I may, for our listeners. If listeners do want to hear more now about um, Hannah Humphrey's story to go in and read a little more about it, where could they start? Well, it's very difficult <laughs> um, uh, because actually you need to go to James Gilray's art, actually. And, um, you know, that you will find in digital collections in museums around the world uh, because his artwork is incredibly well known. And if you look on his artwork, you, you will see her name. Um, but she has not yet been the subject of her own study or her own biography. Um, so she exists in the footnotes of James Gilray's biographies or in the footnotes of work about art and caricature and um, I am trying to rectify that um, but um, but yes unfortunately until she's better known it's also very hard to write a book about her <laughs> so we need to um, we need to 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 kind of celebrate her and applaud her and then actually the work will come that was Dr Hannah Gregg speaking to Eleanor Evans Hannah's a senior lecturer in early modern history at the University of York If you're enjoying this series and would like early access to more episodes to hear more historians nominating people who deserve their 15 minutes of fame, go to historyextra.com forward slash 15 hyphen minutes. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Daniel Kramer Arden. (laughs) 